Lots of stuff going on this week in the world you and I live in, right? I don't know if you have uh, friends or family in New Orleans or New Jersey or other places where Hurricane Ida has gone through. But uh, lots of damage, uh, lots of loss of life, uh, lots of people in need of prayer and support. Um, It excites me when I read about uh, members of our tribe, our family of churches that are in New Orleans, headed to these places of crisis and serving Jesus and representing us there. So be in prayer for those who are responding to the crisis and, and being a part of that. Afghanistan is kind of huge in the news this week, right? And regardless your uh, political position, regardless how you feel about how things were handled, we need to pray. Pray especially for believers in Afghanistan, the, the, the church in Afghanistan, people that uh, literally today are living in fear of their lives, uh, many of them hiding out. Uh, others that have uh, helped and assisted our American troops over there that are also on the run. Lots of people there need prayer. Uh, most of all, we need to pray for Afghanis that through this time they've come to faith in Jesus, right? Uh, we have missionaries on the ground, boots on the ground in Afghanistan, sharing the gospel with Afghanis. And so uh, we need to pray. I want you to think also of veterans today. We have several veterans in our midst. I've had no conversation with them about Afghanistan. I've had brief insights into how my son is responding to this. My son served four times in Iraq, once in Afghanistan. And the, the feeling of betrayal, the feeling beyond disappointment of what has happened. Uh, to imagine yourself going and investing six months of your life, or some of our troops have been in Afghanistan over a year, some on multiple tours, and coming home and watching what's happening in Afghanistan. There's a great sense of betrayal, a great sense of what did it matter, a great sense of I lost friends, I lost fellow soldiers, fellow Marines, and now what? And so I want you to be sensitive to our veterans today. We have some in our midst, like I said, I've not talked to them, but... um, just my soul reacting to my son um, feels a sense of, of I don't know how to describe it, but a, a sense of wanting to identify with those men. And I just want to encourage you, you know veterans in our midst, uh, pray for them. Might even talk to them. How are you doing with this? Are you okay with this? Um, you, you may know other veterans, neighbors, co-workers, I don't know. But there's opportunity here because... There's only one place to find peace and hope, right? There's only one place to find peace and hope. And uh, men and women who have served um, today with either PTSD, um, they have some other terminology they use, um, but we, we need to pray for them. And I want, I want to do that as uh, we begin our time together this morning. Uh, we should be grateful, all the people that are part of our church family that have experienced COVID over the last couple of weeks are all doing better. Um, all are either recovered or recovering. Uh, one family still is quarantined till Wednesday. But uh, other than that, it's all good. And so we, we have much, much, much to give thanks to the Lord for. So let's do that as we share these moments together this morning. Lord Jesus, we are grateful as we have been reminded in song this morning that you are more than able and your mercy is more. Your mercies are fresh and new and clean every morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your mercy and thank you that you've been merciful to those in our church family that have experienced COVID. We're grateful for the recovery that uh, they've made, for the path to health and strength, and we pray that you continue that for each one of them, that they would come to full strength, full recovery, and we just uh, just continue to support them and pray for them and pray for your mercy and grace for each one of them. Lord, we pray this morning for that, that country of Afghanistan. We have so many mixed emotions with what we've witnessed over the last week or so. Some of us are are beyond disturbed. Some of us are beyond angry. Some of us are way beyond upset. Lord, we need that sense of of your peace, your hope. Remind us, as always, that you're in charge, you're in control, you're on your throne. 
Remind us that you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. Remind us afresh that you're, you are working all things after the counsel of your own will. And so, Lord, as we pray for your people in Afghanistan, pray for those who, missionaries who are serving you there, and they're yet on the ground ministering, sharing your word. We pray for your church as it gathers, even this morning. That, Lord, you would, we pray for safety, we pray for protection. We pray that in the midst of all that's going on in this time of crisis, that you give them boldness to speak of Jesus. And we pray that through this time, there would be many Afghanis that would come to faith. Lord, I think of those refugees who are fleeing Afghanistan, who have fled this week and are yet fleeing today. That, Lord, you would move them and place them in just the right place where they'll be near those who love Jesus. They'll be close to those who want to reach out and touch and care and share. And that we would see word, we would hear word of many Afghanis coming to faith in the weeks and months ahead. Lord, we pray too closer to home for the crises, the, uh, the flooding, the, the damage that was done by Hurricane Ida in New Orleans along the Gulf Coast and then up in New Jersey and up in the Northeast there. Uh, Lord, there's many who are displaced from homes, many who are crying out for help. We're grateful for those that are responding, grateful for those that are caring. And we would pray as well that many of these would find themselves next to someone who would tell them about Jesus. You would place them next to someone who would share with them the only source of peace and hope in troubled times. And so Lord, we just want to commit all of these to you. And we even pray for our veterans this morning, those that are here, part of our church family, and uh, veterans around this globe who find themselves just emotionally distraught that this might be an opportunity for them as well to find Jesus, to find His peace, His hope in a time of crisis and a time of need. And so, Lord, we're grateful that as we gather here in this place, that we gather in safety, we gather in peace, we gather in the, the presence of Your Holy Spirit. And I would pray this morning that He would come and it would be His voice that we hear. Lord, speak to each one of us this morning. Give us open hearts, open minds, open spirits to hear, to respond to all that you have for us. And we ask these things in the name of our soon-coming King Jesus. Amen. You've probably heard it said at one time or another, you can't fight City Hall, right? I don't know if you've ever been tempted to test that uh, statement or not. I remember several years ago, my friend Daryl brought me his notebook. And he'd been fighting City Hall for years. And so in his notebook, he had newspaper articles that included his name, letters to the editor of the newspaper, letters and copies of letters he'd written to the city council, asking them to do this, do that, fix this sidewalk, change this over here. He was in a constant battle with the city of Ontario. And I remember him showing me this notebook. It was all I could do not to laugh, to think of all the time and energy and effort he put into fighting City Hall. I guess if you're going to fight City Hall, it probably matters that you choose something worth fighting about, right? Uh, and as I read through his notebook, fighting about sidewalks that were broken. I mean, those things are important. But, you know, I think of others that have tried to fight City Hall, and they've chosen important matters that were, that were critical, at least in their heart and mind they were critical. Um, Martin Luther King challenged our culture and our society relative to civil rights and fought that battle alongside many others, uh, kind of fighting City Hall. I remember many years ago, as the environmental issues began rising, and I, I think it was a bunch of students at Cal Berkeley that uh, went and lived up in the trees for like about five or six months so the trees wouldn't be cut down. You know, they were, they were committed to fighting City Hall. And I think of, of illustrations like that. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a man who fought City Hall. We're going to look this morning as we, turn, as we return to Mark's Gospel to look into the life of John the Baptist. What we're going to read this morning is a flashback. John, of course, was arrested in Mark chapter 1, right? 
We read there that John was arrested and then Jesus came preaching. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the gospel. And so John has been in prison now for a year and a half, almost two years. And this rumor is going around town. Going around Galilee. And Herod Antipas is hearing these rumors. And we get invited by Mark into a really interesting story. Because we have been thrilled with the stories about Jesus. Stories about Jesus healing lepers, healing blind guys, casting out demons. One case, casting out legion of demons, right? And so we've been reading all these awesome stories. And now we get this peek into a, what, what Chuck Swindoll calls a, a stag party. Herod Antipas is hosting a birthday party for himself, of course. And he's invited all the leading military leaders, all the leading leaders in the turf that he is tetrarch over in Galilee and Perea. And it's a time of debauchery. It's a time of uh, massive amounts of alcohol. It's a time of probably dirty jokes. Uh, it's a time of sensual dancing. This is a big deal. This is a huge party. And so Mark invites us. He pulls back the curtain and invites us into this story. And so in Mark chapter 6, we read this account. Beginning in verse 14. And King Herod heard of it. What did he heard about? Jesus. Everything Jesus has been doing. He heard of it, for his name had become well known. Whose name is well known? Jesus' name is well known. Wouldn't you wish that could be said today in our culture? Jesus' name is well known. If Jesus' name were to become well known in the city of Norwalk, how would that happen? Us. Who said us? That's it. Through us. If the name of Jesus is going to be well known here, it's going to happen because of people like you and me that love and follow Jesus. And so John, uh, Mark is setting the stage. Herod's hearing all these things about Jesus and, and even more as we're going to read in just a moment. The people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he is Elijah. And others were saying he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, kept saying, over and over again, what did Herod keep saying? John, whom I beheaded, has risen. And I read that sentence and I just wonder, so is this like a, a massive amount of guilt that occupies his heart and mind? I think so. Is this a, a major amount of regret over having done that? I think so. And he is saying this over and over again. John, whom I beheaded, has risen. And now we look back. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and godly man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed. But he used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked him, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, 
Yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. That's an amazing story for many, many reasons. And as I thought about this passage, I thought, you know, there's lots of lessons captured in this portion of Scripture that we might learn from. There's probably a lesson here about holding grudges. <laughs> Good old Herodias. There's something to learn about harboring a grudge. There's something to learn here about the influence of peer pressure. Unwilling, King Herod was unwilling to do what he knew was right and best because of the pressure of his peers. There's not only a lesson here about harboring a grudge, about the influence of peer pressure. There's probably a lesson here about the ugliness of sin, right? But as I've reflected on this passage, what has impressed me is this. Is that there is a high, high value for God's people to be willing to confront an immoral culture. There's a high value to having the, the courage of a John the Baptist to challenge immoral behavior in the culture in which they live. We don't have very much immoral behavior in our culture, right? Yeah. And so there's three big ideas I want you to hear to kind of kind of pay attention to as I as I think about John the Baptist and this this challenge to his culture. Uh, the first thing that impresses me here is his his challenge called out immoral behavior. No anonymous letters to the editor. No secret. Uh, communication, John did this boldly and publicly. Everyone knew how John the Baptist felt about the immorality in Herod Antipas and his wife Herodias. Everybody knew. John was bold out there in public. John wasn't afraid of Herod Antipas, the ruling king. He wasn't afraid of his evil, conniving wife, Herodias. She probably is someone you could have and should have been afraid of. I mean, if you read all 66 books of this Bible, and you ask the question, who is the most wicked, immoral person of the female persuasion in this book? Well, if you think Old Testament, who do you think of? Jezebel. Well, when you come to the New Testament, it's, it's this woman, Herodias. John's not afraid of her. <laughs> He's not afraid of the king, the king's wife. He's not afraid of the, the soldiers, those who are ruling, the religious leaders. John is not afraid. Boldly, publicly, calling out immoral behavior. <laughs> he named names. <laughs> You know, he named names, called sin by, by its name. The Old Testament, if you're interested in why John would respond this way, in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 18, verse 16, it says this, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. In Leviticus 20, verse 21, If there is a man who takes his brother's wife, it is abhorrent. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They will be childless. And so, it's interesting when you read the history of the Herod family. Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great had several other sons. One named Aristobulus, another one named Philip. And 
Herodias is the daughter of Aristobulus. So if Aristobulus and Herod Antipas are brothers, and Herodias is the daughter of this brother, the relationship between Herodias and Herod Antipas is what? Uncle and niece. So not only is this sin that John is calling out contrary to Old Testament law, it's also an incestuous relationship. And one of the things I find fascinating as I read this passage is Herodias had divorced her husband Philip. Herod Antipas had divorced his wife. And now Herod and Herodias are married. Are are you tracking all this? And yet the Holy Spirit, who is the author of Scripture, when he describes the woman Herodias, and I need to find my verse, where... He describes her not as the wife of Herod Antipas, but he still describes her. Oh, verse 17, there it is. Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. So the Holy Spirit, in recording this passage through Mark, tells us what? She's the wife of this guy, not the wife of this guy. And so here's John, boldly calling out, naming names, calling sin, sin. I would pray to God that I would have that kind of boldness, that kind of courage. If you're just a little bit like me, you probably do have a part of you that always cares at least a little bit about what other people think of you, right? If you care at all about what other people think of you, you don't do what John the Baptist does. You don't do this. And so I look at John the Baptist calling out the immoral behavior in his culture. And he models for me the the strength, the courage to do what's right. Call out immorality. The second thing that struck me as I reflected on this passage is he not only called out the immoral behavior, but his calling out that behavior created a very strong reaction Herodias, the passage says, carried a grudge. How long has she been carrying this grudge? A year and a half to two years? Her desire, when John the Baptist first went public with this calling out of their behavior, her desire in that moment of time is that Herod Antipas, her husband, would take John and kill him and move him out of the way. Shut him up. And she's carried that grudge <laughs> for almost two years. <laughs> and so her waiting, wishing, planning, hoping is finally fulfilled in this moment of opportunity. And I don't know if there's a whole lot more backstory to Herodias' daughter Salome dancing before Herod. But if you, like me, have seen some of the, the films that Hollywood has produced depicting this scene, this scene of dancing before Herod, uh, I, I'm not sure they really capture the full sensuality and immorality of that dance before Herod. I'm, I'm not sure Hollywood has captured that fully. And I sometimes wonder if, even in the heart and mind of Herodias, if this wasn't kind of a scheme and a plan on her behalf. I don't know. But this this sensual dance was so attractive to Herod, it so stirred him that he promised to this young girl, the word that's used in the original language suggests or implies a, a young lady of probably a teenage years, He was so drawn in to that dance that he promised what? Up to half of his kingdom. Now probably, probably that was a little bit of hyperbole. He was just kind of out there to the max, you know. 
he probably didn't really intend that that was where it was going to go. But when Herodias' daughter comes back to him with a request from her mother, we learn a lot about Herod Antipas. <coughs> he feared John. <coughs> he feared his wife. Any of you guys are afraid of your wife? You can identify. Um, he feared John. He feared his wife. He feared his peers. That peer pressure thing I alluded to earlier. The only person that Herod Antipas didn't fear was God. His immoral behavior displayed that. His acquiescing to this request revealed that. And so here's Herod Antipas with this large birthday party gathered around him are his military leaders, the leading citizens of the community. They've heard him with this loud boast, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom, anything that you want. And she comes back and says what? I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but I kind of wonder as I read this, because if you read the words of Herodias, she asked for what? The head of John the Baptist. That's all she cared about. I want the head of John the Baptist. When Salome, when the daughter comes to Herod, she says, she adds two ideas if you read your text carefully. The one idea is the two words, at once. And the other thing she adds is, on a platter. And I find that kind of fascinating, actually. Why did she say at once? At once as opposed to take your time, do it at your convenience, at your leisure. Do it now. <coughs> and there's a part of me that wonders if the daughter has not fully kind of identified with and bought into fully that grudge that her mother has carried for two and a half years, two years, year and a half to two years. And I wonder if there might be a little side lesson here for us. Um, do our children pick up those kinds of things from their parents, their grandparents? Do they embrace that grudge and enter into it fully? I think this daughter did. At once, on a platter. To Herod's credit, he immediately regretted <laughs> what he'd done. The scripture says Herod had kept John safe. And what was the method that Herod used to keep John safe? Had him buried, and use this word figuratively, buried in a fortress on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And in the dungeon in that fortress, history records, uh, no light and little air. And that's where John was kept safe. Kept him away from Herodias. So he instantly regretted. <laughs> if and when, if and when you and I choose to speak out and call out immoral behavior in our culture, we should expect strong reaction, right? We shouldn't be surprised. It's been several years ago when, when Jim Dobson was pretty loud and pretty vocal in the whole um, arguments about abortion in our culture and all the, the, just the awful, horrible things that were being done. And he came in for a lot of criticism, a lot of criticism, and sadly a fair portion of it was from Christians. When you call out immoral behavior, there is going to be a strong reaction. 
Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. Just as John the Baptist created this, this strong reaction with, with his declaration calling out immoral behavior, we should expect it as well. John's challenge called out immoral behavior, created a strong reaction, and cost him dearly. At first, it cost him his ministry. John had a few people coming out to see him at the River Jordan, right? No, he had hundreds, thousands of people that were responding to his ministry, responding to his message, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. They were coming and being baptized. And he was challenging them to show fruit consistent with repentance. John's ministry was going full blast. And in one instant, stopped. Lost first his ministry, then lost his freedom. Locked in a dungeon in that fortress, no light, little air, for almost two years. John's bold declaration cost him his ministry, cost him his freedom, and ultimately cost him his life. And I read this passage and I think, wow. <laughs> and John's example reminds me that if, if we choose to boldly speak out into the immorality of the culture in which you and I live, it's going to be costly. Hopefully it won't cost us our lives, but it could. It might. There may come a day that that would be a reality. But I admire, I admire John the Baptist. I found this quote, A.T. Robertson said, It cost him his head, but it is better to have a head like John the Baptist and lose it than to have an ordinary head and keep it. Wow. So, are there immoral practices at work in the culture in which you and I live? You think of any examples of immoral behavior that we could speak out against, might speak out against? Right time, right place, maybe. And I think of things that come to my mind quickly. I mentioned the issue of abortion in our culture. Human human trafficking gets a lot of headlines. Same-sex relationships. Two new ones that have come on the scene recently are the whole gender ID thing. Another thing called critical race theory. There is stuff going on in the culture in which you and I live. Right time, right place. Need to be addressed. And so, as I've reflected on John addressing this immoral behavior in this culture, it occurs to me that the most important thing we can do about immoral behavior in our culture is what? Pray, thank you. You know, as you read your newspaper, as you see the headlines on the evening news, one of your initial response has to be, must be, Lord have mercy. You know, wow. We, we need to pray we need to pray for our government leaders, city, state, county, federal. Um, we need to pray. First Timothy 2 says, you know, above all things, pray. Pray for those who are, who are the leaders. And in the mind of the Apostle Paul, as he writes to Timothy, he says, 
Be praying so that you can live a quiet and peaceful life. That's a good goal, right? Quiet and peaceful life. I kind of like that. We need to pray. We need to be active voting. Pray for our church leaders. Pray for our pastor. Pray for our elders. You know, when when and where is the right time for us to to speak? It's kind of scary because everyone thinks I'm supposed to be the spokesperson, right? Pray for boldness to speak up, speak out. And one of the things that struck me as I was reflecting on this is we need we need to be one aware of what's going on in our culture, aware of what those moral moral issues are and immoral behaviors are. But we need to become well versed in what the scriptures say about those issues. We need to be prepared to have conversations with family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, whoever. And we need to be able to argue intelligently about these issues. You know, I think of the issue of abortion. The big deal over the last several years has always been my body, my choice. That was a big theme. Another big theme kind of mixed in with that was, well, you know, that, that thing we call a fetus is just a blob of cells. You know, there, there's scientific evidence that has put that thing to bed long ago, right? I mean, when, when, you, when you study it all about fetal development, you understand that, that that's, that's a long over. But I find when I use the word murder related to abortion, I get a reaction. You know, the scripture is pretty clear in Psalm 51. Uh, David, in writing that psalm of repentance and pouring out his heart, says that in sin my mother conceived me. And, there, and there's a, a recognition early in life, you know, um, how life began. Other passages that speak to that. Um, I'm just beginning to start to learn about this thing called critical race theory. Um, Dave has a lot more thinking and research on that if you want to know more about it. But if you have children today attending public schools in the state of California, well, truly anywhere in the country, if you have children today that are enrolled in school, kindergarten through college, Many of those schools, many of the teachers in those schools are teaching our children critical race theory. And I've tried to understand this, and I need to do a lot more research and kind of get myself up to speed. But I asked one of my friends, I said, give, give me the elevator speech. You know, all this stuff I'm reading, and give me the elevator speech. You know, I'm, we're, we're on the elevator, we're at the first floor, we're going up to the tenth floor, go. He says, well, basically it says... The most important thing about you as a human being is your race. We didn't have to get to the fifth floor to hear that. Is the most important thing about you your race? Wow. Now, it's a lot more developed than that. That's that's kind of, in a nutshell, that's what my friend Jay told me. And I think of, when I think of race and race issues... Um, I think of my friend Solomon. I told you about my friend Solomon. Just a wonderful, wonderful uh, black gentleman. I met at Forest Lawn. He worked there part-time. He was a, he was a follower of Jesus. And uh, we developed a friendship. And Almost every time Solomon and I uh, would sit and have conversation and talk about life, he would say to me, Well, Brother Roy, you know what the book says? He came from Texas. You know what the book says? You know, from one blood, God formed all men. Yeah, that's what it says. How many races are there then? One. There's a lot more to it. But we need to be better informed. This whole gender ID thing is just crazy to me for lots of reasons. 
Perhaps you heard about the woman who was pregnant and she was asked if it was a boy or a girl and she said, I don't know, it hasn't decided yet. That's the culture we live in. It was easy for me when my children became at the right age where we could talk about the birds and the bees. Well, you can't teach your children about just the birds and the bees anymore. You have to teach your children about the birds and birds, and the bees and the bees, and the birds who think they're bees, and the bees who think they're birds, and the birds who don't think they're either bees or birds. And Yeah. What does the scripture say? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. Pretty simple, not complicated. But you and I need to be prepared to face the culture that we're living in. It's not going to get easier. This is kind of my thinking. I'd love to be wrong. But it is not going to get easier to be a Christian in this culture. It's not going to become easier to speak out about your faith. It's not going to become easier to identify yourself with Jesus. It's not going to get any easier. And we basically have one of two choices, I think. The one choice is to just be quiet. Sit back. Don't respond. Don't say anything. Avoid those topics. If John the Baptist had done that, he'd had a great career for two or three more years, right? Well, that wasn't God's plan. So we can either sit back, be quiet, or ask God for wisdom to know where and when and how it's appropriate to speak out. And again, whether that's, you know, at work, in the neighborhood, time with family, friends, elsewhere. I admire John the Baptist. I fear that I don't have that kind of courage. I fear I don't have that kind of boldness. I fear that um, I can never measure up to that level of John the Baptist. But I don't think it's going to get easier. I think it's going to get tougher. Unless Jesus comes back soon, it's going to get tougher. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be informed. And as I said, most importantly, we need to do what? Pray. And so Lord, we want to do that just now in this moment of time. Acknowledging the reality of of this, this culture we live in. A culture that has moved so far away from you. A culture that has moved so far away from its roots. A culture that in so many ways uh, thumbs its nose at, at you and your truth. A culture that has growingly and increasingly become more hostile for those who love and follow Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts, in our lives. That you would give us a, a boldness, give us a courage. Lord, we don't have this kind of courage on our own. We don't have this kind of boldness on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to empower, to enable. Lord, give us wisdom to know where and when and how to speak out and to address these issues. I think even as I'm reflecting and praying, in this moment I'm reminded of the recent actions taken by the state of Texas in regard to abortion. The fact that the Supreme Court has refused to step in and wade in and deal with that. And yet others are still on the attack. Lord, have mercy. Lord, be gracious. Lord, show yourself powerful. And help us to be men and women committed to your truth. Committed to speaking out that we might represent you well in this culture. Lord, our heart's desire is not simply that we would speak out on issues of morality, but our heart's desire is that 
out of those conversations, out of those discussions. And we would see people coming to know Jesus, people coming to follow Him. Lord, that's our heart's desire. Use us to reach into this culture. That people's lives might be transformed and changed to find the peace and the hope, the forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life that's only found in Jesus. Lord, use us is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take this time to respond and digest, to call out to God. We know that the world around us is just sometimes it drags us down. But this world, we know a God that can offer us what this world cannot offer us. And I've been told several times that hope is not the action plan. Hope is what we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
even though the world around us is just an utter turmoil and chaos, Father, we know that we can reside in your goodness. We can hold on to your hope mercy, Father God, and know full well that you have called us to be bold in you, to declare that you are the one true living God, the only hope this world needs, the only real joy that exists. We thank you, Father God, and we go with happiness and joy in our hearts that the world cannot take away. Lord, we thank you. We bless your name, Father God, because you gave us the gift of your Son, the gift of salvation, Father. And we thank you, Father, because you love us. We bless your name. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, thanks again, Joey. Thanks for coming and being with us. God bless you. It's been good to be together again this morning, isn't it? It's good to have people joining us on YouTube, and I hope you're able to come back and be with us again soon. Uh, Rumor has it that uh, Vet and Jen have an anniversary on Saturday. Does Vet know how many years it's been? Three. Uh huh. Was he right? 36? Does that sound close, Jen? It's close. I feel like periodically I'm causing conflict in your marriage. I'm sorry, but you guys can, can work through that. Anyway, they have an anniversary on Saturday, so wish them well. Uh, Hannah has a birthday, I think, on Tuesday. I saw that in the bulletin, and Amanda Predmore has a birthday this week. So best wishes to them and uh, what the Lord's doing for them. Next Sunday, we're planning a special morning together of sharing communion. And so those of you that are online will want to be prepared with something to to drink and something, a cracker or a piece of bread or something to, to join us and do that. And we'll be providing those things here for you all as you come and join with us. We're going to focus our morning around the cross. And we're going to cause that everything that we do and say and share together is all about the cross. My working title for my message next Sunday is Who Stole the Cross? And so we're, that's going to be our focus as we come back together and share next Sunday. So until then, as you exit those doors into the mission field, God wants to give you boldness to represent Him well. He wants to do that in your life and in mine. So let's embrace that as we go through those doors into the great mission field of Norwalk and California. Have a great, great week.